You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Before we get into today's episode, if you really like the GTKY concept of connections before content, but you thought to yourself, where do I get those good questions at? And you're thinking, well, I'm still doing virtual teaching versus in-person teaching, and I just want to connect with my kids, but I'm not sure what questions to ask. What we've done for you is created a free resource of 25 GTKY questions that you can immediately download and go back into your virtual setting or your in-person classroom setting to make a difference of getting to know your students before you dive into the content. All you have to do is head over to our website at rclfirst.com, sign up for a newsletter, and you will get immediate access to 25 GTKY questions that you can go back into the classroom and start putting connections before content. So let's get right back into the show. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I sit down and interview Mr. Jay Sheets. Jay has been a colleague, a friend of mine. He has 21 years of experience in education. He's been a teacher, a coach, a district specialist, a restorative discipline coordinator, and currently serves as one of the supervisors in school safety and operations in Dallas ISD. Jay and I originally connected in the high school coaching world, but our paths crossed again as we joined forces to implement restorative practices in the second largest district in the state of Texas. We have a lot to reflect and grow from our experiences of implementing restorative together. So let's get this show started. Welcome to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I want to welcome my guest today, Jay Sheets. Welcome, Jay. Good morning, Kevin. I'm excited to have you on here, brother. We go back a long way, and so I want to get people to know both of us, but we start every show with the same way we would do in the classroom, and that is we do connections before we get into the content. And we always want to do that in what we call the GTKY format. That means just get to know you. So, Jay, I'm going to give you five easy softball questions, just a shallow get to know you a little bit better than more than I already do, and then you're going to flip five back at me, and that'll just kind of illustrate our GTKY platform in the classroom. So, first question, Jay, if if you have you been have you I'm assuming during the quarantine you've been binge watching anything have you been binge watching some things I, I have I have I think my Netflix account is is worn out um, absolutely so if you binge watch what's something that you've really like enjoyed watching or you got caught up in watching sometime during the quarantine you know there's there's two and I'm, I'm going to give the first one without any explanation and that's Tiger King um, and then number two is is Space Force. It's a new Netflix series with um, um, Steve Carell, and um, it's about the new Space Force that that's coming up and how they're going to conquer space. Gotcha. All right. So I know a little bit more about you than some of the average folks out there, but of course, uh, you and I connected through baseball, right? So here's the deal. If you could play one position, just one position in baseball, if you had to choose one that you could just excel at, what would be that position that you would want to play? Uh, shortstop for the New York Yankees. Mm, okay. <laughs> I like it. No, that's, that's, that's the premier spot in the, in the game, and that's the premier team. Um, you know, in Major League Baseball. 
Absolutely. So, hey, what right now during quarantine, what has been your favorite meal to go to? Like, what's your favorite meal? Ooh, that is good. Anything that I can cook on the smoker. I'm really anything. I've done pork loins, brisket, uh, ribs. So all of those. All right. All right. So, so I'm going to segue back to your Yankees shortstop question. All right. So now you're playing Yankees. You're playing for the Yankees shortstop. What's your, what's your uh, walk-up song? Ooh, that is, that is good. Um, man, probably you dropped a bomb on me. Okay. I see, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to walk up there with a little swag and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, that's where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to hit bombs. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So people may not know this. You're originally from Oklahoma. And so when you think about Oklahoma, what is one famous person that you automatically think about when you think about your home state? Oh, wow. Um, being a baseball guy, Mickey Mantle. Hmm. I love it. Mickey Mantle. All right. So, you know, All right, brother. That, that, about that. Go ahead. No, I was saying that was my five. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey Mantle's probably the, the first guy, Johnny Bench, then Garth Brooks. Probably that's the that's the three, the three quick answers. Mm. All right, brother, you got five. I'm sorry, I can't count. No, I love it. No, actually, I, and that's why I said I like I tried to ask questions that I didn't know about you. So um, so hit me back. You got five. Let's go. All right. First question for Kevin Curtis. Are you a peanut butter and what? Oh, peanut butter and jelly. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Any particular jelly? It's crazy. So I alternate. There's times I'm really into grape, and then there's times I'm really into strawberry. Uh, But I primarily am a grape or strawberry. Simple. Awesome. Awesome. What one Dr. Seuss character represents you? What do you most relate with? You're stumping me here because I got to try to remember all the, I'm, you know, Jay, I'm 50. I'm trying to remember all the Dr. <laughs> Seuss's characters, right? You're not reading Dr. Seuss right now? No, it's been a while. Um, first one is just Cat in a Hat, you know. Uh, I, I feel like it, I, I'm constantly changing and, and changing and growing, right? Constantly evol- evolving and reflecting. So I'd say Cat in a Hat. Gotcha. Major League Baseball starts tonight. How excited are you to watch some live sports? Oh, I'm super excited to watch live sports. I'm just, I, 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 I'm just so intrigued in the whole pandemic and how it's impacted sports. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped to just be able to see something other than reruns and knowing the outcomes of some of the other shows that they've been showing us. So super pumped. Loved it. Gotcha. Where is your favorite place to travel? Ooh, favorite place to travel. Um, you know, it's crazy. I'm going to go Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. To me, I don't know what it is about it. That city is, it's, it's like the country music of Las Vegas. Um, but in addition, if you get outside downtown a Broadway area, the culture of the wineries and the history, um, it's, I, I went, you know, and then you can drive right around there and see so much. So one of my favorite, I mean, literally, I automatically I love to go back to Nashville, Tennessee. Awesome. Awesome. Now this one's a little bit deeper, kind of along the same lines, but when, when most people go to travel to relax and get away from things for a little bit, what about when you can't travel and you need a, a neatest place for you to go to? 
in your hometown to get away, just to kind of clear your head? Where do you go to clear your head? Mm, man, I would say use it, it. First of all, anywhere outdoors. I mean, lake, water, river. I'm near the river, the Guadalupe, near the lakes. Um, a lot of times I just need to be outdoors. I need to see water. I need to see trees. I wish I, I, wish I, I don't have that spot. Um, and so I, I don't have this specific answer, but I just need to be outdoors where I can just really, really just kind of take in what outdoors is, is it does for me. I love, love, love being outdoors. Good question. Awesome. All right. So as we model on the show, getting to know you is so much more important than jumping into the content right away. We want teachers and educators to remember that point as you are going and growing in your own classroom. So a little bit of backstory. Jay and I met in the coaching world at baseball um, at, at the actually baseball camp at Texas A&M University um, in College Station. And then we developed a friendship and just kind of a, 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 a friendship of long lasting friendship. And then our paths crossed again later in life in the restore arena. Here I was piloting restorative practices at Ed White Middle School in San Antonio, Texas. Jay, I think at that time was the ISS coordinator in Dallas ISD at that point. Um, the one thing I remember, we had lots of campuses and district come visit me at Ed White. But one of the things I love talking about is, is when you brought a group of administrators from DISD to come down to San Antonio to visit us, I, I just remember you telling me like when you guys showed up in the morning and you were in the office, chaotic morning, middle school, sixth, seventh and eighth graders, thousand kids, parents everywhere doing different things. I, do you remember what you told me about like when your administrators knew like we, they were in the right place. You, do you remember th talking about that? Will you share I, that? I, I do. I do. I remember, uh, I want to set up, you know, a, I want to set this up a little bit. Um, you know, when people start talking about initiatives and bringing things into different districts and, and what, what's going on, a lot of the time you hear from campus officials and, and people in the district that I, this outside agency really doesn't know our kids. They really don't know what we're going through, right? Um, and so they're really skeptical about bringing things in from other districts. So that was one of the, the uh, reasons that I brought the campus administration down there because I didn't want this coming from me. I wanted this coming to uh, from campus officials so they could see it and it wasn't just me. So we get down there with some, some principals, assistant principals, a couple of counselors, and we just wanted to see what was going on at Ed White. So we get there uh, at school starting at Ed White that morning and we're walking in and this mom comes in and, and she is in her pajamas, her hair's up in rollers, and, and she's demanding to see Kevin Curtis right now, right now. And uh, she's hitting the desk and she says a few choice four letter words. And uh, the uh, principal at one of the schools in my district leaned over to me and said, yeah, we're in the right place. So <laughs> she, she understood this is, this is real life and this is what's going on and this translates translates from Ed White Middle School to Dallas ISD. So that, that was that was a great start to the day. Well, and I what I really appreciated was the what you just mentioned, right? Is I think a lot of districts don't consider like making sure that the message of the initiative or or whatever it is, right? That the right people hear it from the right voices that are speaking the same language from the same type of kids and the same demographics and those types of things. And, and I, I think 
you know, when you shared that with me at the very beginning of this, before I even made this jump, I thought, I look back and I think, Jay, that has been really critical to my work because that's why I've always said we should only use educators, particularly in this field, to train other educators because then we're hearing from the people who are doing the work, right? We're not hearing from practitioners or philosophical areas of, of how this could potentially work in, in, a, in utopia, right? And so I, I love, love, love the fact that you brought those people knowing knowing it's kind of a setup that they were going to see exactly what you needed them to see because our, you can't hide that. There's no way you can hide mamas in pajamas with neck tattoos and screaming and yelling, we need Mr. Curtis right now. You know, you can't hide that. No. And so the fact that you knew that my campus was like that, you were, you were just probably like salivating, like you, these people are in for the reality of, okay, this isn't this uh, red, white, and blue colored campus where everything's going great. Uh, so <laughs> I, I really just appreciated that you, you, you were very intentional when you brought that staff. So after you left there and you come back to the district, I shared with you as we were getting on the air today, you know, like five years ago today, you, you, you brought me in to DISD to launch the first wave of training of at that time, we were calling it restorative discipline in DISD. Exactly five years ago today, we were in a library at one of the middle schools training. So when you go back and you think five years ago, what were some of your thoughts of bringing restorative discipline to the second largest school district in the state of Texas? So reflecting on where I was back then, it was, uh, I, I was excited. I was excited because I got, to, I, I got to go to Ed White and I got to see the impact of what you were doing down there on the students. And I, I also wanna just real quick, one more thing about the Ed White experience was I think the most powerful thing other than the principals getting to see that, that this is translatable from Ed White to Dallas, was getting to sit in the room with kids and with no prompting from you. I even think you may have left the room that day and just stepped out the hallway. So, so the kids, so it was totally unfiltered. And I think that was the biggest impact for myself um, I know a lot of the other people that went with me down there uh, spoke to how powerful that was to get to sit with the kids and ask them unfiltered questions and get totally honest responses with no consequences or anything like that. And just to hear how big of an impact the adults on that campus made to each, to each one of the students that were in there. And not and the, not one of them talked about academic things that they were learning or what they had learned. They talked about how the adults on that campus had got to know them and invested in their life on an everyday basis. And I, I, that was the most powerful thing for me. So fast forward to when you came up to do the training, that's that's where my heart was and that's where my head was because I've seen this, I've seen the kids, I've seen the impact that it's had and I, I was just excited. Now, there were a lot of challenges bringing a new initiative into the district, but if, you, if, I, if I had to give you one word for how I felt five years ago today was excitement because of what I had seen at White. Yeah, and so 
Um, what I appreciated was that what you just shared, one, thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciated that that takeaway. That actually should have been a good follow-up question. I should have followed up. What should you take away? What did you take away from Ed White? So thanks for segueing that naturally. You know, Jay, I think what I really appreciated coming in as a as a new consultant, really green and really understanding what this was, that such a large district was willing to start slow, right? four middle schools, two elementaries, you know, six grades, you know, just, just small grade levels. And so I, I have always encouraged school districts ever since our, our initiation of this implementation model with you that start slow, start small before, because it's such a, it's not only is it a change in an initiative, it's a change in the adult mindset along with the systems that are already in place. And so there's so many little things that it basically under, for lack of better words, attacks in the school system. And so I really appreciated the thought process of going slow and, and, and determining those, those grade levels and the campuses that were, you felt were going to be successful. You want to talk a little bit about that thought process? Yeah. Yeah. Along those lines. So once, once we, my my supervisor was it was and is amazing. I still work for her, and she she really cares about what's best for kids, and that that's why I love working for her. And uh, I set up a plan. I went to her. She said, "Yes, let's do this." And I said, "You know, this is going to cost some money, and we're not expanding it district wide." And uh, she goes, "Well, can can we make it bigger?" And I said, "Well, I said." Central administrators mess a lot of stuff up because we try and do things on a, on a on a complete district level. And if you're, it, it's that old saying, uh, um, "Jack of all trades, masters of none." And so I think central administrators try and, but for a lack of a better term, force these initiatives on campuses, and the campus doesn't even want it. And how how successful are you going to be pushing an initiative? And the campus doesn't want it or doesn't feel the need for it. And you're just spinning your wheels when you try and do that. And my boss is, is amazing at um, when you come to her with a plan, letting you execute your plan. So the thought process was when we came back from Ed White, we asked for volunteers to be a part of this. We asked, we asked them to come to a presentation, which you, which you did for the principals. Um, and the, the, you did the presentation of what it is, and then we, the principals got to ask you questions, and, and every principal or in every session of the principals meeting, there was a principal that stood up and said, you know, you're from San Antonio. What do you know about Dallas ISD? How this is not going to work with our kids. And strategically, we put the principals and counselors and people that went down to see Ed White in each one of those sessions and I said, well, we have so-and-so here from this campus here in Dallas ISD who went to Ed White and got to see what the environment was like. They got to see the apartments across the street um, where there was a shooting the night, the weekend before. They got to see the construction and all the, the, the temporary fences that the kids had to go around. And, and they got to see real life down there. And uh, they got to speak to their colleagues in those meetings and say, this translates. Putting relationships and putting kids first translates to Dallas ISD. And I, I think districts lose that idea that, look, we're, we're trying to build relationships first. 
That's all we're trying to do. Everything else should be a byproduct of that relationship. And I don't care if you're in Dallas ISD, El Paso, San Antonio, Houston, doesn't matter. If your number one goal is to build relationships, everything else will come from that. And it doesn't matter where, where your kids are, where your kids are living. It does not matter. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but that, that's kind of the setup. So we asked for volunteers from these middle schools and a couple of elementaries. And we had those, those four uh, middle schools and the two elementary volunteers. So we had to turn people away that wanted this so you could do it. So we had a little bit of uh, accountability for the principals when, when things got tough, right? Because we, we've talked about, we've seen things get rough because it sounds really good in July and August, September, then October comes around, right? When, when, when things start going a little haywire and people want to, you know, go back to the old way that they were doing things. And I, you know, this is why I got paid was to go in and say, look, we're not abandoning shit just because things get tough. We're, we're sticking with this because we know that this works. Remember, you saw some of these things for the principal that went down to Ed White. You saw what this can do for kids. And you can't give up on it just because things get tough. You, you've got to stick to it. You've got to still focus on the relationship and not the, not the consequence and, and putting kids out. We're, we're working on building the relationship, even when the other side makes it tough to want to build that relationship. Yeah. So, you, you know, you bring up, a, and, and Jay, I, you are one of the unique people that I've met that, and, and I say this with all the respect, um, you know, my philosophy is there are some people that get to central office and they, and I swear they, they must have a mandatory lobotomy to remove the common sense part of their brain. Um, and I say that with all love and respect, but I, I've just seen so many people make some decisions that if, I know that if they just could be rooted on where they were as a campus a teacher or an administrator, they, they would maybe rethink this. But, you know, what you just mentioned is something that I, I'm always puzzled by. And that is when things get tough, let's just use the word tough, whatever that looks like. And let's not even work, take into consideration the pandemic right now. Let's just talk about the traditional tough year that educators typically face. And when they're faced with the Shocktobers and the Februarys, right, and the March Madnesses of the year. Why, in your opinion, asking this honestly, why, in your opinion, is it like when tax or star testing, state accountability is coming around, you know, things change? The first thing that we always push to the side, in my opinion, is relationships. I mean, it's the first thing that goes, right? We don't have time to build relationships. We have, we've got to work on getting state accountability and benchmarks and academic success. I, I completely understand the hyper-focus of it, but in your opinion, after all these years in education and being in multiple roles, what are some of your beliefs on why leaders push those things immediately off to the side first? Oh, that's, that's, that's a really good question. And, you know, I, I think the, the fact that because so much pressure on the accountability from the state is tied to the, acad the academic side, um, I think that you become only hyper-focused on just that, just that one aspect. Because the state, I, I know state accountability is coming up, I, I have to really do this. You know, it's kind of like when you're down late, you, you know, you're down in the fourth quarter. Right. We're in the fourth quarter of the school year and, uh, you know, you're down 
let's say you're down 10 points and you, you, you're, you're a running football team and you abandon that run with, with 13 minutes left and you start, you start doing something that you think you should be doing, but you're just not that solid at. Instead of sticking with your foundation, and that is running the ball and what you're good at, I, I just think we abandon things to meet whatever's right in front of us. I, I, and, and I know that's kind of easy. I just, and if I had a better answer, I'd probably write a book and probably make a lot more money, but. <laughs> no, actually, I think your answer is spot on, Jay. I think the, the pressure that is placed on leaders in education surrounding accountability, you know, I, I always, th- I, I break it down this way. I started telling educators, look, there's three zones of learning, right? There's content, there's correct, and there's connect. And so I want you to see it kind of like three zones or three channels, right? And content is usually the largest zone of learning because that's primarily why we're there to deliver content, right? Help our students be successful. But what's interesting is, is content is also the area that where every school in America is evaluated in heavily, right? Yeah. And so that I, I, when I, when I show the graphic of that, it's always the largest part of the zone. And then I show underneath that, then you have the correct zone and the correct zone is where misbehaviors, student discipline, attendance, you know, all the discipline matrices and all those things that are occurring there, because now in this zone, this is the second zone that we're also evaluated in. This is going to be ADA attendance. This is going to be student discipline, disproportionality, school to prison pipeline, excessive uh, exclusionary consequences in Texas, PBMAS state, stage, you could be in stage one, stage two. So, so what happens is, is in the first two zones of learning, we are always held accountable, particularly as a campus administrator. And then of course, the people above them hold them accountable. But in the third zone is the connect zone, which you just talked about a great analogy, the running, right? Just stick with what you do. When I, when I visit districts and campuses and I see one campus that's like kicking butt, they're, do, they're, they're, they're just like, wow, they're very successful, even when it's tough. And I look at that campus or I go down a hallway and I see this third grade hallway and I see it's a hot mess, but there's this one teacher that's got the, that's still teaching, the kids are listening, things are going well in this one classroom. My philosophy was that those campuses and that teacher are running on all three cylinders because see the connect zone, thinking of it as three cylinders of an engine. Now the connect zone is the one area that we are not evaluated in. There is no relationships report. There is no accountability connections, right? So it's very difficult. And I remember being a principal and feeling this. So what's interesting now is I look back and when I was a leader of a campus, were relationships important? Absolutely. But will I admit, honestly admit that state accountability was a huge pressure on me to make the decisions I was making on a daily basis? Absolutely. So I'm not going to sit here and deny that you shouldn't feel that pressure. But I just think it's interesting that even though I wasn't recognizing as three zones of learning, I realized that relationships were still important. And I feel like 
those administrators and teachers that understand, maybe they don't understand it as three zones of learning, but they see it as like, okay, I got to build relationships. I got to teach this content and I got to hold my kids accountable, right? Simple as that. So when you, when you hear that, does that kind of resonate with you? What, what your thoughts were? Yeah. Yeah. And as you were explaining it, I was, I was listening and then also thinking, right. Um, when, when things get tough, people usually abandon the least uh, important thing to them, right? Because they're going to reach for the life preserver. They're, they're reaching for something, right? And they're going to, they're going to do this, right? And they abandon the, you, a lot of times the, the, the least important thing to them, right? When the pressure starts getting to them. Well, you can walk into a lot of school buildings and a lot of districts and everybody says relations, relationships first. This is the number one thing. And then whenever it starts getting pressure time, one of the first things they get rid of is the idea that I need to build the relationship. And, it, and it's, it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. That, that should be the lifeline that you hold on to the longest is the relationship. When things get tough, you know, personally in my, in my marriage, my relationship, you know, my, my, my tough times with my kids, that my, my personal kids, the tough times in, in my job, um, you know, the, the first thing that you, you've got to reach in, in base, the first things you need to reach for to, to preserve that uh, lifeline is the relationship. That's why you do the things that you do is the relationship that you build to get through the tough times with whatever it is that you're going through or whenever the pressure builds. I just think it's interesting because you, I, I don't, other than my official meeting with people from central office, you actually get to sit in behind the closed doors, meetings in central office, right? So you get to hear some of the conversations where people may be pushing certain initiatives or certain, you know, the, the foundations of what their team is and pushing them to the side. So, you know, I, I always thought it was very interesting. I always imagine myself in central office and, you know, just climbing the ladder, much like you going from teaching, coaching to leading and just growing there. And so I, I've always wondered where is somebody in the room that didn't get the lobotomy, right? That goes, hey, I hear everybody, but can I remind you we're a running team? You know, we, we're, we're late. We, 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 we preach and teach about relationships. But what I hear is going on in the room is making decisions that are not focused about our running game as, as, as an analogy, right? Does right. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I've spoken up several times in different meetings, you know, behind the closed doors. And, and it's really interesting to when you start holding people accountable to what decisions and what the topic of conversation goes to. When when you ask people um, in in behind closed doors at central admin, you you say, "Well, are we are we relationships first? And they're like, "Yeah." And I go, "Well, how is this to say?" And you and, and sometimes I had to do this. How is the decision and what you're talking about based on relationships? Then that made them go, well, um, it's, it's really not. And I go, well, if, if that's the most important thing, why are we abandoning it? Because you're not talking about anything about relationships when, when you're talking about this right here. And, man, I'm telling you, Kevin, you, you want to – people start getting real defensive, and they, they start saying, well, I build great relationships with people, and, and they start justifying what, what they do instead of just trying to justify – the lack of relationship in the decision that they're trying to make. 
That's a good point, Jay. And I, I think what you just illustrated for me and for our listeners is sometimes just asking the right question yeah. can can address the elephant in the room, right? And for them, it's a small elephant. And when you ask that question, it becomes a larger elephant and that makes us uncomfortable. And I think as we work through all of our decisions as we're guiding schools, I think we have to make some really, really tough decisions. And so I think some of the toughest decisions that schools are having to make right now is we're not even post, we're in the middle of a pandemic coming back to school here. And so what are some of the things that you see either in your district or what you're hearing and think, what are some of the decisions you think school districts may have to consider coming back to school in the middle of this pandemic? Gotcha. Um, well, I, I, I'd like to address two things real quick, and, and we can go down either one. But um, no, one is our kids have been away from us for a long time. And even if we come back September 8th, which we don't know if we are or aren't with in-person, whenever the in-person stuff comes back, our kids will at least been away from us for about six months. Well, we know how... how um, forgetful students are about how school works whenever they come back from the end of a regular summer break, right? Well, now they've been gone for six months. And when they come back to campus, number one, they're going to, they're going to forget how school works. Right. And then in Dallas ISD, uh, a majority minority school district, there has been a lot of social discussion about Black Lives Matter. And so when they come in and, and a lot of this is questioning authority and, and why do we follow that rule and why and systems and things like that. And they, they there's been a lot of talk of, you know, questioning, questioning the system. Well, when they come back to school, the teachers on the other side, the teacher's anxiety is through the roof because we don't know how safe things are. We don't I'm nervous about my health and my family. And so we're really going to enforce staying six feet apart, staying, you know, uh, wearing your mask, wearing your face shield, all all the things that to try and keep the majority of people safe. Well, when you bring in a group of people that are questioning authority and questioning um, why we're doing this and the systems of things, and you have teachers with high anxiety that are going to enforce the new rules of school. So school, when they left back in March, looks totally different than what school will look like when they step foot in the building. So you've got high anxiety teachers, young people that want to question systematic approaches, you're going to have an instant, I don't want to say clash, but an instant conflict because of where we're at right now with coming back to school. And so our our Shocktober is going to be immediately when we get back to school because we, we have two groups of people coming together that really don't see eye to eye. We don't sit down and have conversations about why we're doing things with the young people. If we don't tell them this is why we're doing this, we're going to have major conflicts, right? And so I think schools really need to concentrate whenever they start thinking about bringing students back face to face you have to have those conversations early and often about this is why we're doing this. Ask the students, what can we do better to help you 
feel safe? What can you do better to help me feel safe as the teacher? What can I do to help you feel safe coming in the classroom, right? And so that, that's just one aspect that I think school districts re really, really need to, to focus on. The other part is, uh, you know, I've heard from, from different people, you know, you always ask teachers or teachers always hear a lot from administrators. What, what can we do to support you? And so I think one of the things is just, like I said earlier, the anxiety level of teachers. What, what do, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a second grader. Do I feel comfortable sending my second grader to school right now? And my honest answer is no, I don't. I, I, I just am scared. And my wife is a teacher. I'm an educator. We have, a, we have an older son and it's a secondary. So we have four people in this house that go to four different buildings in the educational setting. We come into contact with roughly a thousand people a day with the people that rotate through my wife's class, my, my son rotating in passing periods, me going to Dallas and, and uh, working there, and then my daughter at, at her campus. So we come into contact with a thousand people a day. And if I have an option to, and I'm talking virtually now. So if I have an option to not send my second grader to school, if I can do something and she can still do those things and my wife still keep her job because she's a teacher, I, I would do it. And I think a simple thing that would not cost any district any money would be is if they could have teachers, kids go set in the room so that they can work virtually in their classroom and still fulfill their contractual obligations and still keep my daughter and in, in safe and their, their, their kids safe, sitting in their classroom doing their virtual learning. I, I, I think that's something that every district can do. It wouldn't cost any money and it would help alleviate some of the anxiety that some of the teachers are feeling. These are good points. Uh, I always love hearing and thinking about how schools are trying to, you know, I use the word reimagine versus reopen because yeah. reopen sounds like we're just clicking on the lights, open up the doors like it was six months ago, right? Reimagine, you got to reimagine what a classroom is going to look like in the middle of this pandemic with anxieties for teachers, like you said, at an all-time high and that should be. So, you know, the debate is out there on whether we should open or not. And of course, being in Texas, we're a hot spot. So, you know, of course we get judged for opening too soon and all these things that are happening. But despite all that to the side, you know, when I was really listening to you, Jay, right now about the, the last two things you've talked about, you talked about students needing to be heard and you talked about teachers being heard. One of the things that I've always tried to express to people I get to know through this work is, wow, how, how much of a better listener I have become as I've gone through this work. I know you, your positions have changed and different things have happening, but I, I've always seen you as the type of person that continues this type of work, whether you have the title or not. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the way you, it's the way you should treat me. Absolutely. So personally for you, what have you seen? What is some changes in you that you've seen that this work has allowed you to kind of grow and transform as a byproduct of just really being in depth into this work? Ah, that's, that is a great question. Um, not to copy your answer, but to have my own answer, a, a better listener. <laughs> that's, that's number one. I mean, you, you, 
when you sit down and you really hear what somebody needs and you're the one that asks the question, what do you need from me? You better start understanding that whatever you think that that person needs may not be what they need. And you really better listen to understand where that person's coming from and why they need it because they wouldn't be asking if they didn't. And so understanding that why of, of why somebody needs something, I think is, is really why I've become a better listener. I, I want to know why that person's hurting or why that person is joyful or why that person needs whatever they need. Really listening to that why I think is, is the, the main thing that I take away from it. It's made me a, a, a more processing person uh, in, in interpersonal processing, just thinking through what I want to say and how I want to say it is, like you said a second ago, it's, it's really important to ask the right questions. And sometimes it's really important not to ask a question. Uh, you know, under, understanding that, I think just being more uh, processing the things that you're hearing and then coming up with the response that best fits the situation. And sometimes that response is silence. That's probably another takeaway that I'm listening to you. And I'm like, wow, I think that was also profound, Jay, because like you said, because sometimes it's asking the right question. And then sometimes it's knowing when to not ask the right question or to not say anything at all. Those are two strong skill sets that one, thank you for sharing. And two, I, I can echo with you that the fact that that's, some of the journey that I've learned about myself and what I'm trying to do. You know, Jay, I think back, I want to go back, way back. And I want want you to go back when you were leading this in Dallas and um, you got a call from a campus, right? If I remember, you had two scenarios that you were called that I was, when you called me, you're like, Kevin, you're never going to believe this, man. They called me out for two things. One was kind of a school riot, right? Kind of a walkout if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. And then the, and then the other one was um, an accidental, like a kid had had a gun, I think, and had accidentally self-inflicted, not, not, not accidentally. He didn't shoot himself on purpose, but it was an accidental where he shot himself, I think in the leg or something like that. Right. Yeah. And so I just remember like, let's, let's start with the walking out. So I want, I want people to understand what it was like for you leading this restorative movement in a large district and all of a sudden something like a student i'm, I'm going to use the word riot very loosely but like walk right. out right like they're going to walk out and, and and because they feel like they're not being heard and i think the most impressive thing that what you and i were talking about at the time was is not putting counselors down or not putting other people i'm saying but they didn't call for the typical people that we would normally think to call right some right. type of crisis team or whatever they were like, we need Jay Sheets. So Jay, talk, talk to us a little bit about what that, what that process was. And, and then when you got to the campus, you know, what were the things that you realized as a restorative practitioner in your role that you knew you had to do to help that, just to help that system from exploding? Talk to a little bit. I love that story. Yeah. So I, I got to the campus that morning. We knew, we knew that there were going to be um, issues. They put it on social media. and The students were very very frustrated and, and understandably they they had had their senior trip canceled they were losing out on their senior picnic their prom was was very close to being canceled because of the venue and and it all had to do with with um 
things that can be fixed, the paperwork sitting on the executive director's desk or the, the principal or counselor or AP, whoever it was, not doing, uh, getting the paperwork to the venue. Um, and so the kids really felt like, like it was being taken out on them because things weren't getting approved and they weren't getting to go do certain things. And so they were very, very frustrated, especially the seniors. And so they, they planned this walkout and it was very, very peaceful, very um, well organized. They said that we're going to walk out at, uh, I think it was 1030 or maybe 930, something like that. We're going to walk out. And sure enough, we were in the hallways and, and we told the teachers, if somebody feels like they want to walk out, we're not going to stop them. We're going, to, we're, we're going to send them out these doors, these specific doors, um, but we're not going to stop them. If they want to leave, they need to leave out these doors. And so the, the, the students walked out and there were probably, I don't know, Kevin, maybe 150 to 200 students that uh, decided that they wanted to uh, show their displeasure by walking out. So they went outside, they walked around the campus the executive director showed up. I was already there. Several people were there. And uh, my boss called and said, hey, I want you to lead the circle. I've already talked to the executive director and we need to hear what the students want. So I said, OK. I said, well, I can't do this with 150 kids. So they need to pick. let the students pick 25 to 30 of the students that they want sitting in this circle. So they did. We got the circle. We got lunch in there for them because the students came back in. They were outside for about an hour. They came back in to eat lunch and then they went to their classes the rest of the day. So I had these, I think it was around 28 um, students sitting in the circle and I explained the talking piece and we, we were, were doing this circle and I asked the students to give me two issues that you have. And even if somebody already says it, I want to hear your two main issues. And we're going to write them on this piece of paper up here on, on, on the board. So we went around the circle. And again, this was their first time to do it. They had just come in from protesting outside uh, of a walkout. And so their emotions are really amped up. They're sweating. That's the reason we got them food first um, was to meet their needs uh, physically but they were still really amped up and still really emotional. And so we had a couple outbursts again, first time in the circle, somebody said something and somebody agreed and they, they broke the guidelines of the circle and I had to redirect them. I redirected one girl once another girl once. So two times I had to redirect on the first time they've ever circled in a highly emotional situation. So we passed the talking piece around and they're, they're, uh, I, I told the executive director that was there that you, you're just going to have to sit and listen. This is not a time for you to uh, voice or say how you're going to fix things. You're there just to listen. That's why we're writing the issues up there. And I told the principal the same thing. I said, this is not your opportunity to say how you're going to fix stuff. You're just going to listen because I'm going to ask the students how they would fix stuff. Not you guys. And you just get to listen. So they did. And they were sitting there on different sides of the circle intermixed with the, with the students. And we got to this one student and his, his first question, he looked at the principal and said, how can you say that I got a, that, that 
that I felt fringe when I've had a substitute teacher in my classroom since the first day of school. That substitute doesn't know French, but I have two failing grades or I have a failing grade from the semester and I'm probably going to fail this uh, semester because I don't know French and the substitute doesn't know French. So I didn't learn. it. So how can you say that I failed when you put a substitute teacher in my room? Thought it was great. And this young man was wearing, again, he just come from outside. He was wearing a wife beater, a gold chain. He had tattoos across his chest, down his arms and on his face. And he looked at the principal and said that, which was amazing. And he was totally right. Then he looked across the circle at the executive director and he said, my next question for you is, for, is for you, sir. He said, my issue is how can you say, because we're having all these senior things canceled and, and paperwork not getting done and all this stuff, how can, how can you say I've got a quality education and that I should go talk to my principal and do this? And, and follow the chain of command when this is the fourth principal that I've had in my four years of high school. He goes, what are you doing to, to keep principals in this building so we have, so we can have continuity all the way through? He goes, this is the fourth one that I've had in, in four years. That's, that's not very, that's an unacceptable leadership. And then he passed the talking piece. So we wrote all these issues down and then we passed the, the talking piece around again and we asked um, the students to pick any one of the issues that were up there. And there were about 42 issues that were up there because some of, some of them had the same ones, right? And so I asked for one solution to any one of the issues up there. And the ED wrote down exactly what the students were saying. We wrote down what the students were saying. And then we asked the executive director to look at the things and say, what is a timeline that some of these things can be fixed? And he, he at the end, he stood up, he said, I, I love you guys' solutions. There's some of the things that we can do and some of the things we can't do. Some of the things we can do tomorrow. Some of the things we can do maybe in a couple of weeks from now. Some of the things we're not going to be able to do until next year. And he said, there's some things that we can't do at all because the school board and the state law says you, you can't do these particular things. And so the kids were like, oh, okay, so we can't do these because that, that goes way above you. He was like, yes. And they were like, oh, okay. So, but these other things. And so one of the students said, can we meet in two weeks so we can see what things have changed and what we can still address? And the executive director and principal were like, that is a great idea. So they met with me two weeks later, we did the same type of situation just to, just to have an updated fixes to the, to the issues that they had raised. It, it was amazing. It was just amazing. And this all happened after these 28 students had walked out of the building because they feel like they hadn't been heard. And the only thing we did was sit down so that they could be heard. And the people that could make decisions heard them. It's a great story, Jay. I always say people, people, but educators, humans, students, teachers, everybody wants to feel valued, seen, and heard. And I think what you illustrated through that is that the, the platform that you use using Circle, talking pieces, um, I love that you set up guidelines. I love the fact that a lot of educators are like, these kids will never, you know, never, how are they going to facilitate a circle when they're angry and upset and all those things? And and that you made a very bold point of saying, I only had to remind 
a couple times of students to not talk when it wasn't their turn. But the fact that you also set up with the executive director and the principal, you know, I think people go into these, these conversations, we'll call them, and they fail to set the parameters that are necessary to remind them your job right now is not to fix, your job is to listen, right? And so I love, love, love the fact that you were able to not only impact that one campus, those 28 students, which ultimately those decisions led to a trimmer effect across the entire campus, and then making a name for the process that you and I were bringing together for the district. Now, all of a sudden, you know, whoa, you know, Jay's getting noticed and, and what he's being able to do with campuses. And you started having people call you in to help you solve lots of problems. And, and ultimately, Sometimes you and I have found ourselves in roles where we're kind of like the firemen. We just go in and put out fires. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yes, ab- absolutely. The firemen, yes. <laughs> and I think sometimes it's, and what we're trying to do is when we put out a AKA fire, we're trying to model. We're trying to say, hey, this is how this could be done. And I think the gap happens is that they're like, no, that's what you're here for. You're like, no, no, no. I'm just coming here to show you the power behind this you know, how, uh, if we're intentional, how this could be impactful for us uh, as a platform to listen to others, make them feel valued, seen, and heard, and then how we can follow up. So I, I loved how you always, were always coaching, you know, both of both you and I are always coaches. And sure. so, so, you know, Coach Sheets is always coaching and it's crazy that some of them just want you to, to, to play the game for them. They, they don't, they don't want, they don't want to be coached. They just want you to come in and play it. So as you supported through all of your years, you know, in, in multiple districts, you know, what were some of the things that you saw as a coach, right? That, okay, we're implementing, I get that, but now you're coaching and you're, and now you're not coaching kids, you're primarily coaching adults. What were some of the just talking points as you coached adults through this mindset and these strategies? What were some of the things you, that you reflect on as either highs, lows, or strategies, something? Right. Um, you know, I think, and I don't know if this is a, a strategy or not, um, but being forward thinking with what's coming down the road, right? Just, you know, we, we talk about October and we see things, we see what's coming. We know what's going to happen. And, and just being out in front of that, knowing that it's coming, knowing why it's going to happen, just like, um, like you said, the principal wanted me to come back to like the fireman and, and to put this fire out. And they go, so you want me to show up after the building's on fire? Like that's what you want. You can do, you've seen the power of the strategy. You can do this every week and you won't ever have to call the fire department. You, you know what I'm saying? Like you can do this. And so um, the principal that was at that campus really, really invested and restored. And I went in and did some trainings um, with, with their staff and talked to them, their assistant principals, and she really invested. And she was at that campus for four more years, and now she's an executive director in, in the district. But um, she, she stayed there for four more years. I mean, it was hearing that young man say, we have no consistency in leadership, I think it really struck home with her and, and the executive director. So I, I don't know if it, that's a strategy, but just the forethought of this is coming. I think some of the other strategies that, that, that we've done in other districts was do this with your staff. 
if you're a campus leader, do this with your staff. And, and you know, this is one of the things that I got, got from you being the servant leader that you are. If you, if you don't have the relationship with your staff, how does that trickle down and you expect that staff to have that relationship with the students? If you're structured of, well, you're the teacher, you do as I say. Most teachers in that situation are going to be, you're the student, do as I say. And, and, and there's that disconnect and gap between that. Like you said, when you go to the campuses, and, and I've seen a lot of different campuses, um, and when you walk on the one that's, that's rocking it, Every one of the teachers feels, I don't want to say comfortable, but less apprehensive about going to their admin to explain an idea or come or, or, or say, hey, I, I don't really understand this. Can you explain it? Um, I think this would be better. And that translates to the students because the student says, hey, you know, Coach Sheets, I, I don't understand why you have this set up the way you do. Why, why are you doing it now? Most kids say it differently <laughs> than that. But basically that's what they're saying is they don't understand something and you have the opportunity to explain it to them. And I, I think on those campuses that are killing it, the teachers don't respond to the student that's acting out or, or being aggressive or not understanding why they have to do something like wear a face mask, like staying six feet apart, like we're gonna have to explain to students when they come back. Those teachers, that have admin that work with them and they feel comfortable or feel less apprehensive to go talk to them are going to feel not as threatened by the student when they're standing right behind somebody like at the grocery store line. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be more understanding. Look, this is why we have to do this and can explain to it instead of saying, well, I told you to stay six feet apart. So that's what you're going to do. So what I hear you saying is it's really using our voices and educating our students about the needed systems that are in place for safety in the middle of a pandemic, instead of the old way of doing it is this is the system. Don't question it because I told you so and just follow it. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, I don't, and I tell people, you know, this is my 22nd year in education and I haven't been as long as a lot of people, but I don't know when it changed, but there was a change of, of the mindset of when students, for a lack of better words, stop listening and complying with adults, right? I tell people sometimes we're stuck with a 1990 playbook in the year 2020, or we're trying to run the ball when, we're, when, it, when we should be throwing it or whatever the analogy is, right? Yeah. So... I look back sometimes at the teachers in the classroom and the administrators too, and even central office. And some of them are, are sitting on their desk is that 1990 playbook. And they're looking back there and they're trying to take what was strategies and what worked back then and, and how students replied to us and they complied with us and listened to us because we're adults and all of these things. And they're trying to apply that same concept and that same map of strategy in 2020, and this was prior to a pandemic and the coronavirus, right? Like, and, and then they wonder why, well, things aren't working. And we can blame the school system, we can blame the parents, we could blame uh, uh, technology, video games, social media, you can blame whatever you want. If you put the blame aside, our reality is, is that if students, it, I think when that student said it at our conference, if you don't, if you don't connect with me, why should I content with you? 
because at the end of the day, all of the information and answers that you're teaching me, I can go look up on my own. And we didn't have that ability. So the master teacher was the master of all information and our job was to gather. So when I talk about that, what is just your impression to that? Oh, wow. I, being a history guy, I think about, <laughs> I think, I think about the, the dark ages, right? Like and the enlightenment that came from it. Because once people learned how to read, they didn't need, they didn't need the priest telling them what to believe or what the Bible said. They could read themselves. They could go get it themselves. So if there was not a connection, and that's, what, that's why people broke away from the Catholic Church, right? Because if there was no connection for me to stay in that situation, I can go, I can go get it myself. So they broke away and started their, their own religious group, right? And I know that may be a little bit of a stretch, but, but people can go get their information themselves. What makes, what makes it more important to me that you give me the information? What is that? Why, why, why do I need you to light the fire inside of me? And I, I think it's because you can get the information but the person that's telling you about it can relate it to how you're going to use it in life. Like I can look up what photosynthesis is, but I, I need you as the science teacher, the science biology teacher to inspire me to learn it so I can use it, not just learn it to have it in my head, learn it to use it. And I think that's the inspiration of the relationship is to inspire young people and, and connect with young people to be, have them inspired to use the content. So it's a really good answer, Jay. I, I, wow. I, I was, wow. I'm impressed by that coach sheets. Um, that was really <laughs> profound, but let, so let me ask you this question. It made me think of something. So again, I taught science for primarily almost a decade. I'm a very secondary minded as an educator, primarily because that's where my background comes. Doesn't mean I can't resonate with the elementary. Doesn't I've been at the elementary, worked at the elementary, but I'm, I'm primarily a secondary-minded person. So have you, and this is a personal question, but have you noticed that as you've worked at all levels now, from elementary to high school, do you also see the same thing that I see that when we kind of move up, and I'm stereotyping here, sure. but when you move up the letter ladder to the secondary level, it, it does seem to be sometimes, and I'm, I'm going to be general, that the educators that are teaching the content, it, there's a shift where at some point along the ladder that for some teachers, it is more about the content for them than it is about the kids. And, and again, I'm using that as a stereotype because again, the secondary mindset is the most difficult for fertile soil, at least fertile soil to try to bring a relationship centered approach to. That's just, I, you can argue with me. I've been doing this for years in, in hundreds and hundreds of campuses. I can just tell you, you walk into a secondary high school audience and you're ready to talk about relationships, good luck. So do you see that same approach in, you, in your experiences? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, set, the secondary mindset, it, you're right, is, is the toughest place to try and bring relationships to the forefront. It, it, it just is. And it's set up, uh, it, it, it's set up for it to be that way. Whenever I've walked into high school campuses, it is very much when, when you talk to the principal, this is my building. This is, these are my kids. I'm making the decisions. 
this is how I run things. And, and I'm like, well, the, the district has this, has this policy that says you have to do this. Well, I, I, I'm not doing that because this is my building. I'm like, but you're part of so-and-so ISD. Like you're, you're a part of this. And they're like, I, I don't care. This is my building. And so I think it's funny that again, leadership sets the tone, right? What, what's, what's, what is it from, uh, um, remember the Titans? Attitude reflects leadership. Well, the attitude on campus now, whenever I've walked onto those campuses, the principal's like, I'm, I'm, I know I'm a part of this ISD, but this is my school. Well, the secondary, the secondary is set up like that. The social studies teacher doesn't interact with the, with the, like if we taught on the same campus, the only reason we probably would have run into each other is in the field house, right? Because we're, we were going to be coaching together. But if we weren't coaches, I would, I would not know who the biology teachers are or any of the science teachers. I wouldn't know who the math teachers are. I wouldn't know who the, you know, uh, math, 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 science, social studies. I, I wouldn't know them because we have, we have um, content meetings, right? We have department meetings. So I only talk to the social studies teachers. So I, I can kind of build a relationship and we're, we're kind of on the same page, right? But I, don't, I have no idea what the biology teachers are doing. I have no idea what, what those other teachers are doing in their classrooms. And then whenever I leave that social studies department meeting, I go in my classroom and you stay out of my classroom. This is how I run things. This is how I do them. Don't come in here and tell me. Even when the APs come in, I, AP, AP Curtis, don't come in here and tell me what to do. You don't, you don't know my kids. Well, I have them. You know, I have this part of the alphabet. You don't know, you don't have all of them. So this is what we do every day. My kids are learning. Don't come in here and mess with me. <laughs> and it's, oh, wow. just, it's just set up that way where, where nobody is going to interact. So that's a real, no, it's a, it's a good, it's a good visual. Oh my God. When you talked about, we don't know who's who. I remember when I was at the high school and I was coaching and teaching you know, football and biology. And then I was doing my internship for my master's in administration. And, you know, basically when you do your internship, that's when they get to use and abuse you for any duty they don't want to do. Right. They're like, Oh, put Curtis on that. Right. Yeah. You know how that is. So, so what was interesting is, is one time I had to go with a senior field trip down to one of the community colleges here in San Antonio and uh, just supervise that day, make sure that they don't do something stupid. Right. I'll, like you can really prevent that. Um, but it was, a, this was true story. Um, I'm standing there. The kids are getting on the bus. The teachers are getting on the bus. I'm getting to get on the bus and the teachers are like, can we help you? And I was like, yeah, I'm your administrative in charge. Um, they were like, who are you? And I was like, are, are you kidding me? And they were like, no. And I was like, oh, I'm Mr. Curtis. I, I'm a biology teacher. I'm a, a football coach here. I've worked here for two years now. And they were like, oh, really? What department are you in? Yeah. So when you said that, Jay, total true story. I got on the bus with people and I think there was like 130 teachers or I don't know what it was. But yeah, you're right. We're, we're, we're compartmentalized and, and each department is set to run like a silo. You know, that's why I always joke, you know, the, 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 the science teachers not over there going, God, I hope the, the reading teachers doing really well in their department. They're like, I don't give a crap. Uh, they better they better be taking care of their stuff over there i'm taking care of science right so it's it is you 
when you describe that, that is really a good visual of why we go in silos from the administrators down to the teachers. So then... Yeah, well, on the elementary part, I, I know we talk... So I know on the elementary part, elementary principals are for the most part, very welcoming into the building. They'll walk you around. They, they take you, what, what do you want to see? Well, uh, how about a third grade? So they walk in, they know Miss Johnson's name. They know most of the kids. They, they, they can do that. They, oh, I'd love to see a fifth grade. So let's go up to fifth grade, say, oh, Mr. Smith, uh, here's little Johnny. And they know the kids. They're very receptive to, to parents com- coming in the building for for lunches, bringing, you know, coming in to eat with their, their little ones. Um, they're just so much more receptive. And if, in my opinion, what I've seen for the majority is if there's an elementary principal that's struggling with something, whatever it is, drop off, dismissal, lunches, whatever, it's been my experience that most elementary principals reach out to their excuse me, their, their colleagues that are other elementary principals. And I, I really don't find most secondary principals do not do that. They, they just keep hammering away at, at the same nail. To use your analogy, they keep hammering away because I came up with this idea. We're going to dismiss every kid at the bell through the front doors every day. Well, there's a fight every day. We're going to tomorrow. We're going to send them all out the front door. We're going to put ten more teachers out there, and there's going to be a fight the next day. Well, the day after that, we're going to put twenty teachers out there, but we're still going out the front door, and and they just ride that ride over and over and over. And the, the elementary teachers, like or a principal, for the most part, say this isn't working. Hey, can you come look at my building and see? maybe a, a different way or can I come look at your building and how do you do dismissal and surprise the elementary teachers send kids out multiple doors and the high school principal keeps sending them right out the front door. So there's that 1990 playbook just opening. We're, we're going to run this. We're going to run the ball here no matter what. Um, wow. You're bringing up a lot of uh, like flashes for me. When I became the assistant principal or vice principal at the elementary, and it's so funny, dismissal. I can't remember all the specifics. Probably is very traumatic for me. This I'm joking. But no, um, yeah, I just kind of put that back. But no, I literally, um, it wasn't like the main dismissal. I think it was like a tutoring dismissal. So it was a smaller dismissal. But they had this system set up and where the kids would like sit in the hallways and then you would call on the radio and then they would come out a door and this and that. Well, so one day, I don't know why, I was just like, oh, well, I'm just going to bring the kids, all the kids like right out here and we're going to do it. Right. And this one teacher literally walks up to me and she just like is losing it because I'm changing the system. But of course I have the assistant principal badge. So I'm making an authoritative decision. And she is just like, this is not the high school. You cannot do things like this is the high school. And she just starts screaming at me. And I'm like, next, next kid up. Uh, But, but, you're right, Jay. There, there are two different things when it comes to that. So then the last question I ask you that around this before we start winding up the show is this. You have talked about different principles. So, uh, you know, the one thing that I respect about you is you see principles in a different light than I do. And you, 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 before I show up, you're already, you, you've already built relationships with the principles or not because of whatever, right? So, you've seen a variety of principals in a lot of different districts in a variety of different settings. So when you 
if we could speak to administrators right now, what would be some of the, the things that you would say, hey, if I could build a principle, right? Let's get an app out. All right, let's build a modern day principle. And, and whether you take pandemic into consideration or not, I'm just talking about like, what would be some of the qualities or th- thought processes that you would want principles to consider that you believe would make a strong leader in today's modern day classroom? Um, I think if I was going to build a modern day principle, I would start with a a really good list Um, because that as you move up in administration, you you lose touch with the the daily grind of what a classroom is like. And so I think, um, you know, that's ever changing. And I think a good listener as a principal is number one is, is the key. Number two, I would say a forward thinker as far as seeing things coming at you and being trying trying to be ahead of them, right? I mean, we, we all know that um, October is coming. We know that we're going to do face-to-face at some point this year. I think if you're not preparing your staff for when students come back, you're, you're going to see a huge spike in, in discipline referrals on, on your campus. You're going to anyway, but especially if you're not preparing your teachers for the anxiety that they have and the students questioning coming back and just the fact that school can look completely different. Those are three huge factors. So I think for a forward thinking uh, adult. I think uh, the next one is a principal focused on relationships. I walk into a lot of school buildings and I hear that relationships are important and I've walked in some buildings and the principal doesn't know the name of the person that we're walking into. That's, it's not very good. Um, And I think that the trickle down effect of building relationships with your staff trickles down to the kids. And if you're not willing to do something, how can you ask somebody else to do it? And so I think intentional would be another word that I would use to describe a, a, a great principle is be intentional about what you're doing and explain it beforehand. This is why we're doing it. Again, if you can get out in front of it, if you can do things before the before the building catches on fire, you don't have to call the fire department. You get your teachers on board. And I think all these things scaffold towards a good listener. I, I, I just think that's what they need to do. I think those are my four things. Oh, I love it. Um, No, and and I think you just mentioned before that, just don't be afraid to collaborate, right? Like, don't be afraid to collaborate with others. And the one thing I've probably noticed more, one, because it's we're in the pandemic, but I've noticed a shift in a lot more teachers, but particularly administrators right now forced to rely on each other. So I see I'm in so many different educator groups um, and leaders groups. I see more collaboration and questioning right now. So I think, Jay, that that lack of collaboration that that some administrators, despite the level, have may been exhibiting in the past, I think now we're almost forced because of the pandemic to really collaborate. So I'm hoping so administrators will take the things that sometimes we're forced to grow, pressure happens, right? Diamonds, lobsters, you know, look it up. But well, sometimes that force and pressure is good for us. So what I would say well, is- I wanna add, add one more real quick, which I, I, I left out and I think is hugely important. And, and that is for a principal to be reflective. If you're a good listener, I think 
I think we assume that if you're a good listener, you're going to be reflective. And that's that's terrible for assuming. But I would want a, a leader on campus to be reflective because if they keep sending the kids out the front door, I, I hear you, it's not working. So I send more, I send more teachers out, right? I mean, that's the answer is more, more, more teachers out there. Well, a reflective leader goes, you know what? We, we could pull the buses in back here so the buses can pick up back here. We've got walking doors over here. We can have walkers go out this way and car pickup can be, you know, out the front. So I, I think reflective is, is a key component of, of, a, of a good leader. So I, I wanted to throw that one in. No, that's, a, that's an excellent one. And I can resonate with that. I'm probably in the most reflective part of my life right now. So when you said that, I, I don't think I could grow without reflection. So I'm glad you added value to that. So I want to I thank you, Jay, for, for just being on the episode today as we wrap up. And I think you just left our listeners with a variety of tools throughout the entire show. But ultimately, I, f- I think we found ourselves naturally talking to leaders, right? Right. So I'm, I'm going to leave the show with my tool saying, and I'm going to echo kind of what you talked about earlier. I'm going to, I'm not going to challenge, but I'm going to encourage administrators, even in the middle of this pandemic, as you're putting relationships first, yes, but don't forget about campus connections. We, 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 we focus so much on the kids and the connections with teachers and kids you, you illustrated it beautifully in some of your examples earlier. Don't forget that the staff, particularly now with anxiety at its highest level, you know, you, you've heard Jay mention the word shocktober. We've joked about it. That was just a term that we started come up with years ago because October is the first wall that we hit, you know, so we called it shocktober. Then we had February and these, and these, these low points and these walls that you hit in education, I think that's going to change. I think we're going to, like you said, Jay, it's, it's, it's like there's a wall constantly and consistently with us at this point. We'll just try to figure out it'll actually when it will drop and we will, so we'll be in high anxiety and we'll just be blessed to be in low anxiety at certain times. So it'll almost be an invert of what we typically go through. But I would encourage administrators to find a way weekly, I'm not going to say daily, just weekly find a way to create opportunities, whether it's in person or virtually. What is your plan? I need you to have a connection plan, a campus connection plan. How are my staff going to feel valued, seen, and heard? And I'm the leader that needs to have two feet in, not one foot in and one foot out, two feet in and making sure that one of the many responsibilities that I'm leading my campus through, despite the grade levels, despite the academic success or content and pressure of things are going out there, run the ball if you're a running team. That means if we're going to if we're gonna be solid in what you are, two feet in, we're going we're gonna to focus this year on campus connections more than ever because our teachers need this. Then as a byproduct, your students will start to see a trickle-down effect because your teachers can be modeling the same thing they're doing at faculty meetings, virtual meetings, or social distancing in person. And then all of a sudden, the power of connections can transcend through a computer screen and from the adult connections down to the kid connections. And that's when you know, when you walk into that campus, you can feel the difference because not only will they know your name, 
You'll feel valued when you walked in. The kids will feel valued, seen, and heard, and you'll start seeing a difference. So my, my takeaway today is don't forget how to make campus adult connections so that your staff can feel connected and growing together as we work through this pandemic. Hey, Jay, man, it was amazing to have you on today. Um, I, you know, I, I, I learned so much when we have our conversations all the time, I felt like today was just a great opportunity to let people in to know in the inside of our conversations that we have on a regular basis, just to hear some of the things that you and I are able to take away from each other. So I, I want to thank you, Jay. I want to take tell you seriously, I want to thank you for not just being a good friend to me, but being a mentor, being a guide, being a person that has shown and grown through this work with me. And I just thank you for just being committed to putting relationships in some form or fashion at the center of some type of learning in your district, no matter what district you're in, Jay. I really, from the bottom of my heart, I wanna thank you for that, man. I really appreciate the work that you do. Well, Kevin, I love you. I love the things that you do. I love where your uh, path has taken you. I, I value our relationship and I, I really enjoyed being on here today. I really enjoyed the questions. I, I, I look forward to everything we're going to do together in the future. And uh, thanks for having me on. All right, guys. So as usual, we're hoping today that you took one tool back to one classroom to make a difference for one student. Then today was worth it. I want to uh, remind you to keep relationships first, and we will connect with you next time. Lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, Tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.